0: For me, it became very apparent that a camera has way more value to me than a leather jacket. And especially when you don't have a lot of money, those decisions are way more important.
1: Welcome to The Lavender Lifestyle, the podcast on personal growth and lifestyle design. My name's Eileen, and I'm here to guide you to become a master artist of life. Every Sunday, you'll get new insight and inspiration on how to create your dream life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Lavender Lifestyle. It's Eileen. So today's episode is about minimalism and filmmaking, and we're talking to none other than Matt Diavella. Matt Diavella is the filmmaker behind the Netflix documentary Minimalism. He creates videos about creativity and simple living on his YouTube channel. He's also the host of the podcast The Ground Up Show, which I had the pleasure of being on. So I'll link in the show notes my interview on Matt's podcast. But just getting to know him through that conversation, going over to his house to record the interview, like I got to see how he works, his setup. It's so intricate, and he's very professional. He knows what he's doing. He's also super talented, and I just admire him for his creativity and authenticity. So I'm super excited to chat with him today about his journey through filmmaking, through minimalism, and his tips that he has for all of us creators trying to make it. <laughs> so I hope you enjoy this interview. Here we go. Hi, Matt. Welcome to The Lavender Lifestyle. So good to have you here.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Yeah, it was so much fun to be on your podcast. And by the way, yours is like on another level, the way that you record it. And I hope that this is not too like, I don't know, average for you.
0: <laughs> no, I- I've probably put too much work for myself in terms of doing three cameras and yeah. audio and lights and all that stuff. So this is a... Uh, much more comfortable for me.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you can be in your PJs and I don't care because I don't see you.
0: <laughs> it's amazing. I love it. Honestly, like, I don't know. It's it's great because I think that the video thing is obviously video podcasts have a lot of value and there's definitely mm-hmm. uh, a place for it. And a lot of people are interested in it. But I think part of the beauty of doing podcasts in general is that you can just be relaxed and comfortable and you don't have to overthink anything.
1: Yeah, I love that part about it too. But I am also trying to do like a few sprinkled video podcasts for this season. I'm going to test it out. Inspired by you. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh cool yeah. that's awesome
1: yeah just a few and also before we start I have to compliment you on your videos because I've just been watching more of them after we did our podcast and just they're so well made I love your visuals your storytelling the content itself like it's just really 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 great
0: oh thank you so much I appreciate yeah. that I've been definitely trying to do my best to put out not as much quantity but just stick to one a week and try to be as thoughtful as mm-hmm. I can with them. So that really means a lot.
1: Yeah, the quality is amazing. So I want to talk both about the filmmaking creative side and also minimalism, of course. So let's start with filmmaking. I, th- I think you got into filmmaking before minimalism, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. Probably. I mean, I've been a filmmaker my whole life. So really in okay. high school is when it started.
1: Okay. Can you talk about that? Like, What got you into it? Why did you keep going with filmmaking? Because it's not something that's easy to do. It's not an easy career path.
0: No, it's, it's definitely not easy. And I think at the time when I started, really around 2005 or even earlier, there weren't many templates out there. So the DSLR revolution hadn't started yet. There weren't many oh, yeah. independent filmmakers. So it seemed like the only path that you could take would be to join a production company or work for a television studio Mm -hmm. or a film studio. There weren't many independent options available, but... It was, you could still start to create. So there were still, we did have access. I was thankful in my high school to have access to video cameras that shot the tape. And we had Final Cut Pro, probably four at the time, not very advanced Mm -hmm. compared to what is capable now, but it had everything that I needed to be able to make videos. And I just, I just connected with me and it was the one thing that you didn't have to force me to do. So every other class in school was a struggle and I didn't get terrible grades, but when it came to film and editing videos, it was the the projects I'd work on over lunch. I wouldn't eat. I would go during study hall and work on videos and it, it, it was, it it was it didn't have to be forced. So that's kind of when I knew that at least, Hey, I have this. I don't know if I can make money from it or be successful doing Mm -hmm. it. But that was at least the start to where I knew what I wanted to do when I went to college. And how I wanted to, uh, yeah. at least what I quote unquote wanted to be when I grew up.
1: Yeah. And that's amazing that it was so, it's it's like the one area where it was easy for you and effortless. And I think everybody is kind of searching for that. Some people have a harder time finding what their thing is. Yeah. Right? I think,
0: I think I'm very fortunate that I found something that comes easy, but also it doesn't mean that it's always easy. So there's obviously anytime you want to make a living doing something, especially mm-hmm. in a creative field, uh, especially as a freelancer following more of a untraditional path, it can be really difficult to get your footing and you're going to make a lot of mistakes and there's going to be so much doubt about whether it's even possible. And the only testament to if, if you can actually make it is if you yeah. keep going and don't quit. And I, I think I've just been fortunate to have a lot of people that have supported me. Mm-hmm. And also you get very lucky if you work long and hard enough and you experiment enough, you're going to get some opportunities that come your way. And I definitely had some, some lucky opportunities early on.
1: So on developing the skills that you needed with filmmaking, was it more of like a trial and error? Did you have any, anything that helped you grow a lot? Some kind of breakthrough that you had?
0: I first just focused on things that I was interested in. So comedy was always a passion of mine. So I really wanted to make, I was definitely heavily inspired by the very early period of YouTube in 2006 and seven, when there was a lot of parody Mm -hmm. rap videos and sketch comedy videos. And that was, I think the dream at the time. And so I started out just making fun sketch videos with friends And then eventually transitioned to, in college, getting paid to make videos. And it was definitely different, but that's what really opened my eyes to see that I could have a future in it. I remember the first project I ever did was following around a clothing line uh, for, it was this clothing brand, and I followed them around Philadelphia for the day, just capturing behind the scenes, not really having any idea of what this video could be or where it could go, but it was... At the end of the day, we were at this restaurant, and the owner of the clothing line went to the ATM, got $100, and he handed it to me, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like I would have done this for free, and this guy (laughs) is now paying me money to do it, Yeah. and from there, I knew I wanted to do this professionally. I wanted to be able to make a living making films. Not only that, but I also wanted to do what I loved and find projects and clients that were really amazing to work with. And it wasn't always easy. And I've done my fair share of weddings and bar mitzvah (laughs) videos to pay the bills. And pay off my student loan debt. But definitely that first day where I actually got paid to make a video was eye-opening experience to realize that I could actually do it.
1: That's amazing. And I want to talk about you paying off your student loan debt because I've seen like your videos on how you were really deep in debt. Does this relate to like the journey to minimalism then?
0: Oh, absolutely. So yeah,
1: so maybe we can talk about that
0: yeah, so so you were
1: in debt, and I what was happened in a
0: lot a lot of debt, so yeah. I gra- I didn't make the best decisions when uh, entering college, and you can't really blame me and, and other people who do because we're making these decisions at seventeen, eighteen years old, and mm-hmm. we don't really know what that's gonna look like in fifteen years when you're you know halfway through your career trying to work your way out of this hole. Yeah. so I graduated college with ninety seven thousand dollars in student loan debt and then proceeded to do the smartest thing I could think of, which was to buy a brand new car. (laughs) So now I'm like $110,000 in debt, and I made the only decision I could, which was to move in to my parents' house and my, with my four younger brothers and sisters and live out of my parents' basement. And I just happened to stumble across some people talking about this thing called minimalism. And it came to me at the right time. It was at a time when I felt, I wasn't depressed, but I was definitely, I I wasn't happy. I saw all my other friends going out and getting starting jobs with starting salaries And I was making next to nothing. I had maybe $15 in my bank account, and I was Mm -hmm. in more debt than anybody that I had known and anybody that I'd graduated with. And it was like a joke almost. I just didn't even want to look at it. But then I I started to hear people (laughs) talk about minimalism, and I thought that I had to get XYZ. I had to get all the stuff, the cars, the house, to prove to everybody that I was successful you know, like when you're living in your parents' basement, you don't feel very successful. And I definitely didn't look very successful, but I thought if I got that stuff, then I would be. But then minimalism and the idea as I saw it then was that I didn't have to wait until I got all this stuff. I actually didn't even need this stuff to be happy at all. And there were a lot of things that I had in my life and a lot of relationships that I could appreciate in the moment. So it really got me to reprioritize my life and, It it also meant just reaffirming the fact that I really loved filmmaking and really loved my business and I really loved the path Mm -hmm. that I was on it actually made the journey a lot more fun from that point on because it would have been it would have been terrible if it took me to get material success or to get money before I ever enjoyed right. the time I had.
1: So you're saying you found happiness through minimalism. And so it's like a pro for you because you were still trying to make it as like a starving creative. Yeah. <laughs> but because you're a minimalist, you were able to find that happiness.
0: Yeah, then. and I think that the one thing that minimalism helps with too, it's very practical if you're mm-hmm. trying to start something from nothing, and you don't have a lot of money. There's not as much pressure to keep up. You don't feel like you have to buy all the clothes and that you don't have to have all these status symbols that, uh, you know, as during that time in 2010, when social media started to get very popular, it's very easy to get caught in that trap. Mm -hmm. So it definitely gave me perspective above anything.
1: And during that time, did your family understand what minimalism was, the people around you? What was that like?
0: Not really. I remember being so excited about it and like sharing it with my sister as this, I figured out the secret to happiness. (laughs) This is it. And it's, you know, you get very giddy in those early stages. And I don't, I didn't really want to tell it to too many people because I didn't want people to take it the wrong way. I didn't want people to think that I was judging Mm -hmm. them for not having a lot of stuff. But naturally, I think people start mm-hmm. to see you making different decisions and eventually, especially if it's something that really has a big impact on your life, you're going to end up sharing it with people. So I don't really remember a majority of the people, like how it went down or how I told them. I think most people are like, oh, that's cool. And then they just, it It wasn't a big deal. They didn't really care about it. And I wasn't uh, preaching about it. So it kind of went on the back burner until I started Working with Josh and Ryan from the Minimalists and and before the documentary started. And
1: you became part of that movement. So, yeah. So, even before that documentary, like your journey to minimalism, was it like a quick purge of all your stuff or was it kind of like a slow adoption of those values?
0: It was very quick. So, it all happened really over the course of two days. And,
1: what? Oh my gosh. Yeah,
0: and, but I, I feel I, like you
1: didn't have that much stuff to begin I with. I didn't.
0: I really <laughs> didn't. I was pretty much a minimalist as it was. Oh my gosh. Uh, I don't know if I still have the photos, but I definitely took photos. There, there was quite a bit of stuff I got rid of, I, you know, as most people do. I, I didn't use most of what was in my wardrobe, so mm-hmm. I easily purged 80% of my clothing. Mm-hmm. And I just remember that being such a good feeling of yeah. being able, you know, because you have the favorite things, the things that when they're clean that you go to every time. So for me, it, it was pretty easy to go through that process, getting rid of the clothes. I get rid of old memorabilia from when I was a kid, signed baseballs, baseball bats, all this stuff who I didn't even know who had signed it. But for some reason, I just had to keep it. Mm-hmm. Uh, some Something's harder to get rid of than others. But in the end, I, I had made a decision. And that's to say, I, I didn't get rid of every sentimental item. I still kept like one or two things that I, I wanted to like a coffee mug and a, a bowl that my grandma owned. And some of that stuff is nice to have. It's I don't have a crazy, desperate connection with them that I, if something were to happen to them, it, I would be lost. But it was, yeah, it was relatively easy. I mean, I took mm. one trip to the garbage dump, one trip to the Goodwill, and, and that was it. And then from that point on, it was more about, okay, how do I now be more thoughtful about my purchasing mm-hmm. decisions to where... I don't do this again. I, you right. know, it's, it's it's not really going to matter if I don't change my purchasing decisions from here on out.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like you were already born a minimalist. It just helps you a little bit through that phase of like, you're buying your new car and everything.
0: I will say though, right around that time when I did move home, not only did I buy a brand new car, but I also bought, I like pimped out my room. I got a flat screen TV. I got <laughs> uh, a leather jacket. Uh-huh. So I wouldn't say that I was... A minimalist by any stretch, because the material stuff meant way more to me than it should have at the time, and I think if i had if I kept making more and more money, I would have just found ways to spend it
1: I see what you 're saying, so it 's a little bit different because for me i what I started out with personally was like my family, my mom tends to hoard things, so it was like a lot of stuff, but I think for you, minimalism was about like removing the material value the the value in material things because like a leather jacket is a status symbol a, a new car is a status symbol yeah
0: yeah, yeah. and it was more so different. like trying like then the few things that you do end up keeping do have even more value and the, like you said the value isn't yeah. necessarily in the status symbol but For me, it became very apparent that a camera has way more value to me than a leather jacket. And especially when you don't have Mm -hmm. a lot of money, those decisions are way more important.
1: Right. Yeah, I agree with that. I've seen a video that you've made about how can a filmmaker be a minimalist because gear is so expensive and you need a lot of it. But it is an investment in yourself and your career.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that I have a lot of camera gear. I've got mm-hmm. four cameras, which <laughs> I know sounds crazy for a minimalist, but I have my main cinema camera, which is what I would use for shooting a documentary, like minimalism. And then I have my three cameras for my podcast. Yeah, uh, And each of them serves a purpose. Each of them has a function. And if I got rid of one of them, I think my quality of work would suffer in the long run. So yeah. it, it's you have to be more thoughtful about those kinds of purchases, especially because they're very expensive, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to buy them. And it doesn't mean I'm not going to continue yeah. to reinvest. I like to, I
1: yeah. like to invest in
0: good quality gear, really nice lenses, things that are going to last me a very long time. But it, there is this kind of misconception that being a minimalist means being cheap and buying, you know, yeah, like, exactly. if you spend $300 on a pair of boots, it's not very minimalist, but in actuality, yeah. that pair of boots is going to last you what, 10 years, 20 years? Much
1: longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've gotten those types of like criticizing comments on my channel too. Like, oh, that's not minimalist. You spent that much on that bag or this. And it's yeah, like with you having four cameras is perfect for you and what you create. And it is why you have such high quality videos, but to each their own, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I know people that have one camera, one lens, and that's all that they own and they're professional filmmakers and it works for their needs, but you have to first figure out what you want your life to look like, what kind of things that you want to make, what kind of films that you want to, what kind of topics you want to cover. And then that can inform the decisions about what you own, especially when it comes to camera gear.
1: Mm-hmm, totally. Do you feel like minimalism is still something that you have to work at now? Or are you basically like an expert and this is, it's like so ingrained in yourself that it's, <laughs> you don't try?
0: You definitely work on it. It's, it's, it's about awareness because our lives are constantly changing. So, and they change so subtly that over the course of the year, you might not see it and you might not realize, oh, I haven't mm-hmm. worn that shirt in you know two years now and now I can get rid of it so there's all that's really I guess subtly how minimalism plays in my life I don't find myself getting caught or distracted by advertising or by what people have on Instagram Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes it can happen a little bit with camera gear where it's easier for me to be like ah I need that lens (laughs) like I need or I need that camera because it's got a better autofocus and it's going to (laughs) save me on all these problems and headaches and then it's just a balancing act for me. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like I said, with the reinvesting, reinvesting in your business is incredibly important in terms of getting yourself to grow. And it was always for me more about how can I make my videos as good as they possibly can be? Sometimes it meant buying gear. Sometimes it meant investing in a course or buying a book mm-hmm. or investing time and in learning the craft. But I would say it's, it's not a terrible struggle. For me, what always brings it into perspective is we hear these stories all the time about people who get all this stuff and they're not happy. People that move into these huge mansions, and they realize, ah, this is this is not it. Or hearing about celebrities struggling with depression. They have fame, they have money, they have attention, and yet they don't have happiness. And when I hear about those kind of stories, it always reminds me of why I've chosen to follow this path and, and live my life this way, because I, I don't want to get to that point. There's nothing wrong with owning nice things or owning a house or cars or whatever like everybody everybody's life is a little bit different yeah but i don't think we can live for those in order to be happy
1: yes there's more to life it's time for a break with our sponsor ritual Ritual is reimagining what vitamins should be. Clean, transparent, and well-researched. What they've created is their innovative Essential for Women, two daily capsules made with the nine essential nutrients that most women lack. From D3 to omega-3, Ritual Essential for Women fills the gaps in a woman's diet. For obsessive label readers, all of Ritual's vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free ingredients and all of their sources are 100% Transparent and traceable for the whole world to see I've been taking the essential for women daily and I like that all nine nutrients both dry and oil ingredients are combined into one clear capsule So you don't have to take multiple pills of separate vitamins I also love that it's completely vegan its omega-3 source is from microalgae and not fish oil Which is what's commonly recommended So if you're looking to step up your health and vitamin game try adding ritual to your daily routine visit ritual.com lavender to start your ritual today. Again, that's ritual.com/slash lavender. So let's talk about you directing the minimalism documentary because that's a huge part of your story. A lot of people wonder how did you get connected with the minimalists?
0: Yeah, so the minimalists obviously were two guys at the very beginning of this movement and I started following them pretty early on as well as a couple other minimalists like Leo Babauta and Courtney Carver. Mm -hmm. And this was around 2010 when they first started writing. Mm -hmm. So I had been reading their stuff for a while and then I saw that they just posted something online asking if anybody knew uh, a film intern, they were looking for somebody to help them out with their video content and at the time I was a professional filmmaker, I was doing pretty well. I think at that point I had moved out of my parents' house. I had paid off half of mm-hmm. my debt and things were going pretty well and I was pretty busy as a filmmaker. So I reached out and said, hey, I'm not an intern. I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't do it for free, but I'd be happy to give you a discount. So you name the price, and I'd be happy to help you with this video that you guys are looking to work on. And he reached out, and he liked my work. Josh reached out, liked my work, and then we ended up, we decided to work on the project together. So they flew out to New York, where I was living at the time, and they had their first event for their Everything That Remains book tour, and I shot a couple videos for them. It went really well. We got along. There was a lot of camaraderie. We had a good connection. Around that time, yeah. I had wrote <laughs> I wrote down in my journal, it was like a bucket list of things that I wanted to do before I died. It was a little cliche, but I think it was really powerful because at the very top mm-hmm. of the list, I wrote, make a documentary about something I care about. So then about six months later, Josh reached out to me, emailed me and asked me if I wanted to make a documentary with him.
1: Oh, that's I love those yeah. stories. Yeah, it's just like you have <laughs> like to... Like you, you created yeah, that. Yeah, I think that yeah. is so
0: important. That's something that I've learned is that you have to put it in writing. That's what I love so much yes. about your work and what you do. You create these beautiful uh, workbooks for people to get their creativity out and also kind of figure out where they want to head. And even the act of physically writing stuff down, yeah. I find, is so important. And it's really... Thoughtful way to to make clear what's going on in your head. Yeah.
1: So you wrote it down, and so it led to meeting them, and you filmed the documentary. I actually had a Facebook question. Someone from Facebook asked, like, how did you find these people and land these interviews in the documentary? Because these are really amazing people.
0: Yeah. So like any project, especially a big documentary, like well, not big, but it's independent, but it's a pretty exhaustive project to work on where you have to connect with a lot of people. It's important that each partner has their own skills. And my skill was in filmmaking and editing and directing. And Josh and Ryan really came through with producing and finding these connections. And most of the people that we interviewed ended up coming through their network. So Leo Babauta, Jesse Jacobs, Courtney Carver, Joshua Becker, Mm -hmm. all these people who have different lives and different perspectives on minimalism, but they're also very thoughtful on the subject. So they had thought a lot about how minimalism applies to their life, and they were able to give us really good interviews and a really great perspective. Mm-hmm. And some people we ended up just finding on the road. I remember the architect that we interviewed, Frank Messiah. He just happened to be a guy that we oh, met so cool. <laughs> at one of the bookstops. We're like, yeah. this guy's really interesting. We should just sit down and interview him. So it's a balance of that. It's a balance of finding people that either are well known in a subject or just being open to letting those interviews yeah. come to us and when you you have an instinct about something to go for it.
1: Nice. And I'm just curious as a creative like when you make such a work that blows up and seems so successful, how do you feel after the fact? Cuz you're still creating. Do you feel like kind of like you have something to live up to? Like what are you working on next? How does that feel?
0: When you're working on a project. I mean, this is from my perspective because I've definitely heard people say different things about this. But for me, it's a roller coaster. So <laughs> there are sometimes when I'm just so in the moment and enjoying it and it's the greatest thing I've ever worked on. It's creatively stimulating and all that. Mm-hmm. And there's also the side of it that's so daunting and it's so big and especially when you're work you're used to working on smaller projects where you can see the momentum, you know, when when you and I are making YouTube videos, it doesn't take us very long, a day, a couple of days to put out, to mm-hmm. shoot, edit, write a video. But then when you're working on a film, you don't see that kind of progress. The progress, you you have to really be in it for the long run. And
1: yeah.
0: it can be very overwhelming. And you, all you think about is I cannot wait for this to be over. I can't wait to finish this movie. I can't <laughs> wait to be done with it. And then you're you're saying that all the way to the finish line. And then once you finish it, it's great to relax for a day or two, but then you start to get antsy and you're like, well, now what, <laughs> you know, what do I, what do I do now? What, what should I spend my time with? I wasn't even thinking, I was thinking so much about the finish line. I didn't think yeah. what I would do after it. So that was the hardest part. But then it was realizing that as tough as it was to create a finished film, it was so worth it Yeah, that I would do it again. And I wouldn't, Me personally, I just don't really care as much like, oh, what if we didn't get on Netflix? What if nobody sees it? What if it doesn't really matter to me? I'm I want to be able to continue to do it. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: for me, that's I think my number one priority is if I can keep making films, whether it's for YouTube or for Netflix and people enjoy it and I can make a living doing it then that's that's my bar right there. Then, then I'm happy.
1: That's amazing. And it goes back to, like I'm imagining the high school Matt, like who loves to edit and make videos just for fun. I think it goes back to that because your passion is so pure for it that you don't care as much about all the results. And that's what you need as a creative. You need to just focus on the work.
0: Yeah, because I think that you can have these really high expectations about what's going to happen when you release something. And it can be mm-hmm. exciting to have these kind of dreams and ambitions for what could be. But even if you get that, even if you achieve your your wildest dreams, then I forget, J. Cole said, uh, it's funny how your new highs become your new lows uh, or your old highs become your new lows. Uh. So yeah. I rem- I just came yeah. across this video about a couple weeks ago where this is when I first started my YouTube channel and I grew from 120 subscribers to 470 subscribers and I can't tell you how excited that I was. I was like, oh my god, I can't believe this yeah. many people follow me overnight. It was amazing. <laughs> and yeah. you know, now th- for me to get a couple hundred yeah. subscribers, it- it's not going to have the same feeling anymore. So I think to really kind of shift it from the beginning and say, well, it's not really about yes. that and it's, it's okay yeah. to celebrate the wins and I don't have a problem with people getting excited if they get a hundred thousand subscribers and celebrating it or making a video about it. I think that's totally fine and that's, that's fun. Uh, but obviously I think it'd probably be best not to set our expectations and have that be what makes us happy is getting there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because it's all relative. And sometimes it's a little too easy to like put your worth into those numbers and be excited when it goes up, be sad when it goes down. But like as a creative, you have to kind of detach yourself from that and just make stuff.
0: I think it's also, yeah, because you're you're in it for the long run. So it's, yeah. like, it's like investing in finance. You know, the, the advice that financial experts will give you is that when you're investing, put your money in there. Maybe look at it every six months to a year and readjust as the market changes. Mm -hmm. But you're in this for your retirement. You're in this to in 30 to 40 years, 60 years, you could Mm -hmm. take your money out, hopefully, in an ideal scenario. You could take your money out when you retire. But if you're looking at it every single day and trying to trade and make decisions in the moment, you're going to usually make mistakes. So knowing that, okay, I'm in this for... You know, let's do this run. five years, yeah. 10 years, 20 years. Where where could I be if I just put my head down and do the work wow. and I don't get too reactive?
1: That's a great metaphor because I understand like with finance and investing, if you're looking at it every day, your emotions go with it and it's a waste of time. And yeah, it, like the yeah, same thing with YouTube. And any, I guess, creative journey or any career, it's you're in it for the long run.
0: Yeah, it's it, that's so important. And that's it's a daily reminder. Yeah. You know, you, you have to continually remind yourself that you're not in this for the short term and that, you know, especially when you're first starting out and you're not seeing anybody follow you on Twitter and Instagram and your YouTube channel. There's crickets whenever you upload a video. And any creator goes through that. In the very beginning, it's very rare that you start out with, I mean, how could you possibly start out with a following? So you have to, most of us have to build something from nothing. And it takes getting through a lot of doubt.
1: For sure. How about staying motivated? Because we all get into a creative rut sometimes, even I get lazy sometimes where I don't feel like doing anything. I don't feel like creating. What are your go-tos for keeping yourself motivated or finding inspiration again?
0: what's probably most relevant is what I did when I was first starting out because now it, it changes a little bit. I think that it's almost like a muscle that you build and you don't really wait for inspiration anymore. If you're a full-time writer, you sit down and write every day, mm-hmm. no matter what you have a quote yeah. that you say, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write 400 words or 500 words every single day. And it may not be a ton, but it's the consistency that's going to pay off in the long run. And for me, it was about mm-hmm. reading yeah. a lot early on. It was, I think, for the first year when I had mm-hmm. moved home with my parents, every week I read a new book. And I, I could only maintain that for about a year until I was That's like, oh, this is this is a bit too much. <laughs> and sometimes the books were yeah. very short but and, and yeah. basically pamphlets. But it did two things for me. It kept me motivated and it kept me inspired to understand that there's other people that are on this path that have done it before. And it also gave me practical advice and steps. So if you read a book like Seth Godin's The Dip, you start to understand that there is a lot of excitement when you start something, but then everybody goes into what he calls the dip, and they have Mm -hmm. creative struggles and hurdles that they have to get over. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it means giving up and quitting and not following through with something because it wasn't right. And sometimes it means pushing through that doubt to get through to the other side of the dip, which is even higher. And then Mm. I read a book like The Flinch by Julian Smith, and it's all about facing that instinctive flinch to not do something and to shy away from a moment that would be uncomfortable. So how can putting yourself in uncomfortable situations actually make you stronger. Yeah. And every time you do that, you desensitize yourself to that flinch. And he used the analogy of a boxer. Eventually, if a boxer has been training long enough, when somebody throws a punch at your face, you're not going to flinch anymore. Mm. In the very beginning, for the first probably year or two, you're going to flinch every time somebody throws a jab. And if you use that metaphor for life, I think it can help you get over a lot of things. And It was just about reading all these books and trying to consume as much knowledge as I could because at the time I didn't really know any of this stuff. It was all new to me. And then you start to learn it through experience the, the more you put yourself out there and make stuff.
1: Yeah, super cool. And it also sounds like you've read Stephen Pressfield's books, like The War of Art. Oh yeah, that's the Do one. The work. I was, <laughs> I've yeah, read that. I, I, the, I've read like two or three of his books and I love them. And it's like hard harder to put into practice, but like I get the concept. But still like resistance is still like, you know, real for me. But- <laughs> oh man, I think,
0: I'm so glad that yeah. you said that because while I was talking, I was like, well, there was a third book I wanted yeah. to mention, but it was I could hear Stephen it. Pressfield. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it was somewhere in there in the words, but Stephen Pressfield is amazing because mm-hmm. those books are relatively short, but they're very powerful yeah. and they're, and when you talk about motivation, I think that he gives you the guide map yeah. for how to face the resistance and how to, which is like really procrastination yes. because your mind will trick you in so many ways to not just sit down and do the work.
1: Yeah, totally. So lastly, what is something that you are excited about right now? And what area are you focusing on now?
0: I am excited about my YouTube channel personally. It's a place that I get to create and get feedback almost instantaneously. And it's unlike anything I've done in the past when it comes to original content. So I've made mm-hmm. a couple of documentaries and when you work on them, it takes a couple of years before you ever get it in front of an audience. And then you just, you wait, you say, Oh, does anybody yeah. like this? But now it's, it's almost collaborative in a way in that I do get feedback. I do see what people are saying. I see what people are interested in and resonating mm-hmm. with. So I'm looking to continue to to see where YouTube can go and I'm excited to try to do things like I did with minimalism but on a smaller scale with different topics. So like
1: mini documentaries.
0: Exactly. So yeah. maybe like a 10 to 15 minute piece exploring hustle and work ethic and yeah. a, can we maybe balance ambition with minimalism and maybe taking a look at the role advertising plays in our in our lives. And mm-hmm. so there's these different topics that I want to explore and they take a little bit more time. So, we'll see if I have enough time.
1: Well, I think what's great is like you come from filmmaking and documentary making where you spend a long time on a piece of work. So you're used to putting extra effort into videos. I think YouTubers like you don't have that much time. You just kind of like crank things out. So you're not used to spending that extra time and care to do the research, to film extra things. So that's why I think you're making such high quality videos. It's like you're willing to do that.
0: Thank, yeah, thank you. I think that I think that there's a balance there though as well because as a YouTuber, you also have to put out consistent videos and stay connected with your audience, which requires yeah. like a yeah. video every single week. So the, the idea there is, all right, would I still be able yeah. to consistently put out a video a week while also working on these projects that may take two months to, to, to push out? And I think it... Mm -hmm. that's the hard thing right it's like how do you keep the momentum going on Mm -hmm. those side projects and it's something that i haven't answered yet so we'll see how it goes
1: yeah i mean wishing you luck i would say quick tips is just batch shoot the short videos the easy videos and then schedule those out while you like make time to work on your longer more detailed videos right
0: yeah i think that's something that i'm starting to learn more and more every day Mm -hmm. is in this world you need to get ahead to keep your sanity and also to make Mm -hmm. sure that you can step back and make the best decisions and not feel like you're uh, making your monday videos on sunday night or monday morning (laughs) so it's definitely something i'm I'm learning but yeah yeah you could always get better at
1: Yeah. So I did ask in our Facebook group for people to submit their questions for you. By the way, a lot of the people were really excited about you. They're like, tell him I love his stuff, his YouTube channel. so So, okay. I think her name is Diapa Corona asked, how do you select topics for meaningful content creation?
0: It's a balance of finding things that you're interested in and things that you think your audience would be interested in. So there's probably a bunch of topics that. I would find really, really inspiring or or thoughtful that that my audience might not necessarily connect with, but it's trying to find that overlap Mm -hmm. and getting as creative as possible. So minimalism is a topic that a lot of us are talking about on YouTube. It's very popular on YouTube, but that doesn't mean that there's not different ways to tell that story and to get creative with it. And there's always, I think, a perspective that hasn't quite been seen, or a style of shooting a video, or a certain person's story that hasn't been heard yet. So I think when you look at people like Seth Godin, who writes a blog post every single day, constantly your wheels are spinning. You're always thinking of different things to talk about. And that's no different for a YouTube creator. Uh, I think it just takes trying to prioritize. What is the most interesting video that I could do this coming week? And then looking, how can we push it even further? And and maybe what topics haven't I explored in a while? So it's kind of a balance of all those things.
1: Okay. And Tiffany Tran asked, what was the biggest obstacle you had to overcome in your minimalist journey? And what aspects of minimalism do you still struggle with today?
0: You know, like we had mentioned before, I think the there's the struggle in knowing what you really need versus how, how long, you oh, know, yeah. <laughs> it, so I just started vlogging a little bit because I started doing Patreon and I was like, all right, what if I just do these intimate vlogs where I turn the camera mm-hmm. on myself? I'd never done it before in my regular YouTube channel. And the only lens that I had that was native to Sony, which would be good for autofocus, hopefully I'm not getting too technical, Mm -hmm. uh, but was like a 25 millimeter lens, which is a little bit tight for turning the camera on yourself. And so many shots, my head would just get cut (laughs) off and you wouldn't be able to see my eyes. So I had to be like, all right, I know I need a wide angle lens. Should I get it? Should I not get it? Uh, I could probably get by with the 25 millimeter for a longer period of time, but the decision ended up being that, okay, it's going to make my videos better. It's going to make it easier for me to film. I'm going to have much more usable footage in the long run. And in the long run, I'm probably going to have to get this lens anyway. It's worth the investment. And it's those Mm -hmm. kind of decisions that don't happen overnight. And I'm not very spontaneous with my purchases that I think are the hardest. Mm -hmm. You just have to be patient and not add the thing to your Amazon cart right away. And if you do just let it sit for a little while and, check to see in a week if it's something that you still need and are still thinking about.
1: Okay. And then a last question that I know you made a video about, but it's a popular question, so I'll, I'll just ask you. Um, Glaza asked, what would you recommend if someone, like how do you live with a non-minimalist? Basically? Oh, God, I love it. <laughs> yeah.
0: This is my favorite thing to talk about. because. Oh, is it? Well, yeah, yeah, just because my fiance Natalie, is she's not a minimalist at all i think that we've both rubbed off on each other in terms of just our lifestyles and but she's definitely she still loves shopping she loves buying things she's got a penguin snuggie uh <laughs> and I, I gotta say that i don't think we'll do videos together there's a couple videos on uh, my channel about this and yeah. we're not the best at giving advice uh, if you watch any of our videos if people ask us questions and we kind of we struggle to answer them, but it's mostly just like the banter and us like giving yeah. each other crap. But I think that that's probably what it is. It's the fact that we have such good, a good such a good connection, such good rapport. And mm-hmm. we call it bipping and bopping. Like when we're just kind of like flowing with each other and cracking jokes and being really light and trying to make each other laugh. Yeah, And I think that's what relationships are about because the whole idea is to get past the stuff. It's not to get caught up on the stuff and let the stuff affect your life. Now, if your partner has tons and tons of stuff and they, they're they not willing to get rid of it, maybe you can help them organize it. Maybe you can you know come up with a system to make sure that there's not socks on the floor every single day and there's maybe a, a hamper nearby that they can get thrown into. So I think that that will help you keep your sanity. That's something that we do. But overall, look past the things and... Focus on the relationship.
1: Yeah. I mean, people have differences. And if oh, it's yeah. not about minimalism, you'll have differences in other areas. Totally. Like in That's any relationship. It. So it's just about, I guess, managing that. <laughs> Yeah. So now I have some rapid fire questions. So feel free to give just quick answers or they could be long if you want. Are you ready?
0: I am not ready, but let's do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. What does your dream life look like? I'm living it. Oh my God. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) What is one book or resource that you recommend to everybody?
0: Do the work, Stephen Pressfield.
1: Okay. What is one habit that changed your life?
0: Creating every day.
1: Hmm. Best life or career advice you've ever gotten? Keep going. And then finish the sentence. The most amazing part about life is?
0: People. That's lame. That was lame.
1: (laughs) That's all I got. I'm sticking with it. No, (laughs) it's fine. It's fine. You should say your fiance. (laughs) You're so sweet. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I just said, I said generic people.
1: People. (laughs) Me. That's really
0: bad yeah that's
1: okay that's okay great well thank you so much matt i had so much fun talking to you and i wish you all the best uh where can we find you online
0: uh yeah well thank you so much for having me this was a whole lot of fun it was great to reconnect with you and yeah. if people want to find my work they can go to mattdiavella.com
1: and check out your podcast the ground up show yeah and watch the minimalism documentary
0: watch it all so much <laughs> watch stuff. all
1: of it yeah a lot <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I'll link everything in the show notes so you guys can stalk Matt.
0: Great. Thanks, Eileen.
1: By the way, are you still trying to get The Rock on your podcast?
0: Oh, yeah, that's actually great. That, I, I should start <laughs> mentioning that at the end of these podcasts. You should. Uh, cause that's Don't the you have a plug. website for that? GetTheRockOnMatt'sPodcast.com. If anybody knows The Rock, <laughs> is friends with The Rock, or friends of friends with him, let me know. Uh, I've yeah. been trying for about two years to get him on my podcast, but he hasn't returned my phone calls yet.
1: Well, he's a busy guy, but I. I think the more you put it out there, the more it's gonna happen.
0: Right. It's at the top of my list.
1: It's gonna happen. It's gonna be one of those stories. A couple of years later, you're gonna tell this story.
0: Oh, it's gonna, I, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. We'll see.
1: Cool. Well, good luck. Thank, Thank you. Right. Bye. Bye. That was so much fun. I really enjoyed talking to Matt, and I hope you guys liked that conversation. I hope you learned something from it. I'm just gonna share my key takeaways in this little wrap up. So, I was definitely reminded of key, I guess, principles that you need to have as a creative things like consistency doing the work, and not emotionally getting caught up in the highs and lows because you have to look at it in the big picture sense. You're not in it for like the daily ups and downs. You're in it for the long term, over 5 years, 10 years, 20 years. So that was a nice reminder for me because I also get stuck in my own creative ruts. I also feel down at times. I feel unmotivated. And it's a reminder that those lows are just part of your normal journey. It's part of the phases of life. And if you really take a step back and look at the bigger picture, like I've grown a lot, I've definitely grown. And if I stay consistent and keep creating and keep working at it, I will continue to grow. Even if it feels like I'm not growing in, you know, the small scale, like if I look at this week, Or, like a month. Maybe I don't feel like I'm growing that much, but if I take a step back and look at the next three years or something, I'm sure that growth is gonna look like huge. Another thing I took away from this conversation was how important it is to read a lot of books. I similarly went through a phase early on in my career, like when I was lost and figuring things out, I was reading a lot of self-help books, similar to what Matt was doing. He definitely read more books than me. One book a week, that's pretty crazy. I read maybe like one or two books a month, and I was consistent for like maybe two or three years doing that. And I think in the past year or two, I've gotten lazier with reading books. I listen to audiobooks more than I actually sit down to read a book In the evenings. And I remember the times where I was consistently reading like 10 pages every night. It was like fueling my mind. It was giving me inspiration and motivation and knowledge right before I went to sleep. So I really think that helped me mentally and it boosted me in some way. So I definitely want to get back to doing that. Also, just the fact that if you read a lot of books, you're going to be very knowledgeable and you're going to have more wisdom because books are like Condensed wisdom. And it's, I've heard this before that books are like the cheapest way to get the most insightful information like you don't have to spend like hours talking to these people like they've condensed their life's knowledge their life's wisdom into a book that you can get for like $15 and so it's very valuable for its price (laughs) another thing that I really like about Matt is even though he's a minimalist he does not judge others for not being minimalist like he lives with his fiance who is a non-minimalist and they're okay with that they accept their differences and even watching his videos that he's made with her on his youtube channel like he never judges her for shopping he never judges just people in general for not living according to his values because to each their own and that's what i continually learn in this journey whether it's in minimalism or just in life in general like to each their own you cannot judge someone else for their life choices because you don't know the full story and it doesn't matter all you can do is work on yourself Decide on your values for yourself and live according to those values. And you just live by example. If people see you living a life where they see you happy, a life that you love, it'll inspire them to think more like, huh, why are they doing that? Maybe it works. And so never try to force your ideals upon anyone. Just be yourself, live by example, and everything else will flow from there. I think that's it. I'll wrap up here. Love you guys so much. Have a beautiful week. Bye. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Lavender Lifestyle. If you like this podcast, please show your support by leaving a review on iTunes. Next, make sure you check out the 2019 Artist of Life workbook and the Daily Planner by Lavender on my website lavender.com/shop. Lastly, you can catch me on YouTube and Instagram at lavender where I have even more content for the Artist of Life. Sending you so much love. Bye.